how we doing? So I think this is the last panel before alcohol. So I think I have your attention. Um, my name is Robert Dempsey. I'm the CEO of Asclepics Therapeutics, focus on retinal disease. And when I had the opportunity to talk about commercial launch, obviously I got very excited because back in the day, I led the launch of Shire when we built the ophthalmology franchise. We launched it into the ophthalmology space, to the ophthalmic space, and then ultimately divested it for uh, well over $3 billion. So privileged today to talk about a very important topic, and that's maximizing a commercial launch. And as we know, in this space, we have a very, very unique opportunity of two targets, the eye care professionals made up of ophthalmologists and optometrists. So what I'd like to do is take a deep dive and talk about this. But before we do, I think we have a great panel here of companies that are at various stages of launching. And uh, let's have this uh, great panel introduce themselves. Aziz? Great, thanks, Bob, and thanks everyone for having us. I'm Aziz Matawala, the Chief Commercial Officer at Tarsus. Uh, my background is over 20 years in the industry, 15 of which uh, collectively has been in eye care, and I'm one of those few people. I left eye care for a little bit and came back. I spent the majority of my career at Allergan um, and had the real great benefit to come to Tarsus a couple of years ago and excited about opening up a new market potential in the eye care space. Perfect. Jeff? Yeah. Hi, my name is Jeff Now. I'm the CEO of Oyster Point Pharmaceuticals. I've spent almost my entire career in ophthalmology, uh, both on the retina side as well as now in the front of the eye. Uh, I'm an epidemiologist by training, which nobody cared about until 2020, and then they figured out what an epidemiologist was. So uh, <laughs> excited to uh, be here today. Carrie? Hi, Bob. Hi, Carrie. Never got a chance to thank you for that Jennifer Aniston campaign, by the way. <laughs> Had some fun I with that. I'm Carrie Powers. I'm the Global Head of Corporate Marketing for Avellino. I too am coming up on 20 years of experience working in ophthalmology. I actually started working for an ophthalmology practice in Florida, and I constantly draw on that experience of working inside the practice and understanding the operations and finance and how surgeons make a decision. So I went on to spend nine years at Allergan, working for Aziz primarily, a lot of really great experience there as well. So thank you. Perfect, perfect. And last but not least. Hey, Bob. Tony. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Tony Tipton. I'm the COO of SQL Bio. Uh, you heard our CEO, CEO speak earlier today, Jerry St. Peter. Uh, I've been in the industry about 25 years uh, with somewhat of a diversified background across commercial roles uh, in various companies. Um, the, I, one of the valuable things I have in my career is about 12 years of, uh, I guess, rubbing elbows with the payers and the market access side of things. So mm -hmm. I understand their thinking and why they think the way they do as crazy as it can be sometimes. So uh, it's been valuable as part of that. Um, I've worked in companies that focused on dermatology, pulmonology, respiratory, and psychology. Uh, I joined Jerry in 2018, and so I'm a rather new neighbor to the ophthalmology neighborhood. So, uh, howdy, as a Texan. Uh, but I would also say uh, I'm jealous of uh, a lot of people here because you all know each other, and uh, that's, that's an awesome thing to watch go on when you come to a conference like this. Um, so, with Jerry for since 2018 until the acquisition of iVance, and from there was with Santin until this past July left. Uh, and rejoined Jerry and Wes Brazell at SQL Bio, and uh, very excited to be in the position here and, and meeting with you all today. 
Fantastic. Well, welcome. Well, I'm sorry. One, oh. clar one, one clarification. Jump point. in there, Z. Carrie reported to me, but I used to work for her. She reported oh, to me. I go. worked for her. So just to get that out there, right? There we, know, we know the truth. No misconceptions. True politician, Aziz. Always, always. All right. So let's set the stage here. So as we know, launching a drug or a company is a tremendous amount of work across multiple functional areas. Expectations are high. We saw some fantastic presentations today, but that's that's the early stage. What happens when you bring it to reality and launching that product? Expectations are high. You have to take a data-informed approach. The KPIs identified internally and monitored can ultimately define your success. And as we know, success can be measured in multiple ways. Penetration into a segment. Overall target audience market share. And last but not least, profitability. However, unfortunately, many launches do not meet expectations and fail to meet the pre-specified objectives. And we know the street is looking at launches. For example, and this number kind of surprised the heck out of me, is of 30 emerging pharma companies that experienced the first launches between 2019 and 2021, only four met expectations. We are fortunate today, obviously, when you heard the introductions of individuals with exceptional talent around commercialization. And I think we should get into what the discussion is gonna be about. We have a unique complexity in this space, ophthalmology and optometry. Ophthalmologists, we know, wanna focus on surgery. More and more optometrists have the power of the pen and they can prescribe. And when I think back to my launch at Shire, we inundated both markets and took a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of resources. So where are we? Um, therefore, let's get into this topic and talk about the companies, how they are approaching these market dynamics. So speaking of ODs and MDs, how is Tarsus approaching the education of these two very important segments as you prepare to launch a drug into a new category? Aziz. Yeah, no, thank you for that question, Bob. Creating a new category in eye care is exciting. I mean, we really think that lid disease is the new frontier in eye care, and it's relevant to both ophthalmologists and optometrists. So we're excited about the potential. We're hearing a lot of excitement and enthusiasm from both of those physician audiences. Uh, both ophthalmology and optometry are really eager to have something to manage lid disease, specifically demodex blepharitis, which is a highly prevalent disease, over 25 million patients that impact all types of patients within those eye care practices. So we're really thoughtful about how to approach both those segments. First, we think about the patient. Who are the relevant patients? How can we help the physicians identify these patients in the practice? So if it's an ophthalmology practice, think about your cataract surgery patients coming in. If it's a high volume optometry practice, maybe it's a contact lens intolerant patient. So being very specific and clear on who those patients are that will benefit from a new therapy when it's available. Secondly, we think about how do you incorporate a new, for, a new horizon in eye care into the practice? So if it's a busy surgical practice, is it a co-managing optometrist that's gonna lead that effort? Is it getting to the referral network in advance? If it's a high volume optometry practice, do we think about how this can maybe be an opportunity to expand the practice by adding a whole new pillar of lid disease and lid health? And those are things that are really relevant to those individual practitioners and how do you tailor that message? And, and lastly, I think you, you called it out, Bob, the trend is there, right? Optometry is gonna to continue to grow. It's gonna be an increasingly important part of eye care. 
And we want to approach that in a very creative way. And one thing we've done, for instance, is uh, built out a medical affairs team that is comprised mostly of optometrists. Our medical director is a very well-accomplished optometrist. Um, a lot of companies hire MSLs. We actually hired medical ambassadors. And the difference is all of our field medical team is actually clinically trained optometrists. So they bring a different degree of knowledge, credibility, and of course, relatability. They're able to sit there and have a peer-to-peer -peer conversation around the disease state. And that's resonated very well. So that's an exciting way to get creative and really tap into where we see the market going over time. Fantastic. So Jeff, we have multiple external stakeholders that are critical to a successful launch. Obviously we have the MDs, we have the ODs, but ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't stop there. We have the payers, we have the patients. As you look at the launch, you're in the midst of right now, how are you approaching these different segments? Yeah, I think, I think there's one sort of common theme uh, across the board with all of those segments, which is it's relationships, uh, which is priority number one, two, and three, and, and really building trust. And so when we think about launching a product, um, I think it's a, it's a lot different than we thought about 10 years ago, where we really need to get out in front of the payers early. That scientific story is really important to be able to sell to the payer uh, well before the product gets out to the market. Um, and then for the next six months, we can uh, con stand there and hold our nose because we know we're going to negotiate with the PBMs. But after that process, you know, then we really have to focus on uh, the, the MDs and the ODs. And I think it's to, to um, you know, Aziz's point, I really think it's important that if you're going to put trust and building relationships as a priority, you've got to pick the right people. And the, when we pick the right people, we've got to invest in the right people. We've got to get really good people that have the right experience, that have the right ability to learn about the product. And so we pride ourselves on building uh, territory managers or reps that are smart, that are very knowledgeable about the product, that can have those discussions, that can be trusted, and the messaging and building those relationships is incredibly important. And I think um, it, it, you're gonna hear that, you know, through the next two days that you're here, that relationships uh, sort of rule everything. And, it, and it's really important if you're an MD or an OD, you have to trust your rep. And I can't tell you how many times we've seen it where, you know, the product may be slightly worse or slightly better, but if they like the rep, that goes a long way. And you wanna make sure that uh, those people are also um, receptive. So I always tell my teams, look, I want the easy call to be to you. That has to be the phone call that somebody picks up because they know that they're going to get somebody on the, the other end of the line. They're going to get their question answered and they can trust that they're going to get um, what they need. And similarly, this goes to patients. So we took a long time to build a customer service um, infrastructure. Uh, we spend a lot of time on all the materials that go to patients because I think it's really important to have good materials, have them in all the different languages that we see across the United States, and really focusing on building that patient relationship at the end of the day because what we all hope is that we're around for a long time and, and that patient says, oh, I like Oyster Point products or I like Pfizer products or I like Tarsus products. Perfect. Well, I, I think you heard that theme, relationships, relationships, relationships. So, Carrie, thinking about pre-market conditioning and relationships with key opinion leaders, we know that engagement is essential, and you need to create momentum for a product to be successful prior to launch. 
how the dynamics of building the relationships with key opinion leaders shifting or has it been shifting in the last couple of years? What's been your experience? Yeah, absolutely. I think you've touched on something that's really, really critical to understand when approaching the market now that's different from, from prior years. In the past, KOL engagement was fairly straightforward. We would prioritize people who were on podium, academia, the prestigious medical societies. But in the past five years with the rise of social media, we're seeing a whole new crop of experts pop up that truly are influencing both patients and physicians on social media and beyond. And so I think it's really important to strategically think about all these audiences when you're going to, to launch a product in this market. I think right now what we're seeing is a lot of organic content being developed by these influencers. We're seeing that right now with Demodex, actually. Aziz's crew is doing a phenomenal job in that pre-market conditioning in generating this really natural organic content. Um, I, I think you're, you would be hard-pressed to find an optometrist who's active on social media right now who's not talking about Demodex. So, well done, Aziz. Wow. All right, Tony, so bring it home here, buddy. So new company, new launch. We have to increase the awareness of the company. The pre-commercial strategies of a new company entering a space is super important and vital to the future of commercial success. What are your pre-commercial strategies as you prepare to launch the company into the ophthalmic space? Well, as you can imagine, there's a number of those. Um, but you know, with a panel here, we're focused on customers type, customer focus. So I'm going to lend it to speaking to a strategy that we have in place in that area, which is really as we're looking, you know, either at products to acquire, but more importantly, uh, our Act One technology platform. We want to make sure we mine products from there that have value with all three levels of our customers. Uh, which are the prescriber, the payer, and the patient. And everybody may have a different opinion on what order you put those in, uh, but when we look at this uh, from our perspective, uh, the process begins with that prescriber. That's the, where the first order is placed, and then it, there's two financial decisions after that with the payer being first and the patient being second. So that's the ordering and the buying and paying. So that's the way we view those. And we each time we evaluate an asset or an indication that we're pursuing, we take a look at all those and we extend out our thoughts on what would our strategy be with each of these customers. Um, it's unfortunate for my career, I've seen a lot of products come to market uh, or they get to that launch phase and they've done a tremendous job of getting ready for the prescriber uh, and the patient but the investment in preparing for the payers all, yeah. just seems to come up short and last. So there are ways to get around that. One of those is early involvement uh, of the payer. And you're starting to see this in midsize and even larger companies. They're starting to involve their market access people in product development, in assets, uh, asset identification, et cetera, to try to make sure that when they get there and they launch, and they don't get that surprise, I don't understand. Our, our prescribers are prescribing, our patients love the product, but the payers don't wanna pay for it. You know that up front and you prepare for it. And it can keep you from preventing uh, you know, investments in products that uh, may face challenges uh, that uh, you know that the payers don't necessarily perceive to have value. You know, For a patient, just a simple example of that is uh, any, any drug that can go from a QID to a QD dosing, Seems great to the patient, makes sense to the doctor. 
really doesn't matter to the payer unless it's saving them money. So there's some key questions you have to ask yourself on the front end of this, your pre-commercial and evaluating assets on how do we appeal to the payer along with the other two customers we have. So digging a little bit deeper into that, one of the, my favorite sayings, and, and you know, don't take this the wrong way, but access is more important in some cases than efficacy. So as companies look to launch, Tony, what would be your advice to companies as they deal with the payer space? Well, yeah, if, if there's secret sauce, it's... Uh, well, without getting too proprietary. Yeah, I, I will. I do carry a backpack of opinions, so I'll pull from that at this point. Um, you know, the first is to make sure early on in the process, approach and evaluate payers with your eyes wide open. I see so, too much sugarcoating, uh, particularly with vendors that we pay that go out and do market research with payers and it comes back. And it's just not valid information. So I would encourage you to make sure that you have a credible company do your payer research to make sure that you're getting accurate information and not you know, a PBM contract person that retired five years ago. Uh, so make sure you evaluate that. The other is, I guess I'm gonna speak, uh, maybe not, I hope this is not a controversial point, but coming to the ophthalmology space, it was surprising to me where some companies early on in the past, this is the best way to say it, have just essentially caved to the payers. And I think uh, we as a specialty have to stand our ground more yep. and educate them more in our area to make them realize the, the value of uh, demon X, blephritis, et cetera. So Tarsus, I need you to stand strong. Uh, <laughs> through these things, it's really important to make sure that we hold that. And uh, because when we get, if you if it all comes down to all of us in the room, just be, getting in a rebate war, we don't win that. No one wins that, yep. no one wins that. So panel, managed care aside, what are the biggest obstacles facing companies as they, as they go to launch or in the midst of a launch? I think that Tony brought up a really good point and it transcends not just the payer, payer audience, but you have to be really, really honest with yourself about what your product is, what it's not, its limitations. Um, if you don't go to market with really sound research, which does not mean going out to 10 of your friends, um, yeah. you're gonna run into to trouble when, when the market bears itself out. Yeah, and I think just to build on that market research, I mean, we are a very early stage company at Asclepix. We've already done market research with eye care professionals, already done market research with payers to really identify now, does our target product profile meet the objective of what we're trying to establish? Because ultimately, we're gonna have to do a future fundraising, and we have to ensure that the, the VCs that are gonna come in and, and hopefully invest will have the access to that data. So I think that's a really, really good point. Um, Panel, biggest opportunity when approaching the launch? Anything else you want to build on that? Yeah, I'll add to that. I think the, the biggest opportunity is leveraging data. We have so much information at our fingertips, and yeah. it still surprises me, right, that we a lot of companies will still use the same playbook that they've used in the past, and I think that it's imperative that we use all the information and data that's available to us, and it's really remarkable how much there is. I mean, even your stat up front, Bob, about how many companies have launched, yeah. Each of those launches is a data point for us to learn. Exactly, from. exactly. And, you know, you can ask people on my team today, I, I call it like watching film. If you're an athlete, you watch film. We dissect every single launch in eye care, outside of eye care, because those are all learnings. Whether they're successful or not, there were good things and opportunities that could have been better in each of those launches. And shame on us if we don't capitalize on that information to make our launches 
good as possible. Yeah, yeah. So panel, KPIs, obviously these are the measuring sticks that we have both internal as well as external. The street's gonna be monitoring your profitability, but that might not be as important early on depending on your stage. Jeff, do you wanna take that? Yeah, I think, I think one of the key um, indicators that we pay very close attention to are new prescribers. And when you're building out um, any type of brand, that is such a critical aspect of being able to grow that brand because many of us know um, it, it certainly takes the most amount of resources and effort to get that first script written. Once that first script is written, they start to come after that. So we really pay attention to those new prescribers and how many new prescribers we're getting on every week or every month um, or during a certain period of time because at the end of the day, um, those new prescribers start to turn into scripts, then they start to turn into refills, and so it sort of snowballs. And if you if you go back to um, you know my my uh, financial um, planning group, you know they they love to uh, basically play um, prediction games with the commercial team and say if well if it's in my spreadsheet and it's on my Excel sheet, that's exactly how it should work out there in the real world. <laughs> And I think you know, they'll, they'll scream from the rooftops that new prescriber is the holy grail because that's the basis for their model in the Excel spreadsheet. That's how it all builds from there. And I think you know, sort of breaking through that muscle memory of uh, those MDs and ODs out there where they're not reaching for the product they reached for last week for this uh, particular disease is, is super important. I think that's a really good point, Jeff. I also think that there's a layer down from the more typical KPIs that, that people more obviously look at. And you have to ask yourself, even when a launch is going well and it's on track, what's really driving that? What's really getting you to these new prescribers? What's working, what's not? So you can optimize your sales and marketing mix. Okay, perfect. All right, panel, piece of advice. You've got one piece of advice to give companies out there that are approaching a launch in the midst of a launch. What would that be, Aziz? I would say really prioritize what you want to do well. I think a lot of folks get in the launch mode and they want to do everything and they want to throw everything at it and they want to throw the kitchen sink at it. And again, I don't think that model works anymore. I think you need to pick the two or three things that you're going to do exceptionally well. Um, that's how you're going to win because that's how you're going to focus your energy, your focus, your time. And most importantly, you're going to focus all your resources, your people and your capital on two or three things that are going to make or break that launch. Identify that early and go in on that. And then, you know, the corollary there is, be agile. So if at some point that doesn't come to fruition, that you can pivot quickly and find that next critical pillar that's going to make the launch successful. Perfect. Jeff, your piece of advice. Yeah, I would say this is a, a similar piece of advice for a lot of things in business, especially those of us that build companies, which is surround yourself with great people. Yeah. I can't tell you how important it is to surround yourself with people that are smart, that are willing to work. And, and I'm not talking about just the leaders in the company, but as you launch, you've got to invest in that sales team. You've got to make that sales team step up. All of us have been involved in some aspect of our lives where we've had a project, we've had a, a goal that we've needed to achieve. And if you have a team that is a really high performing team, sometimes you can overachieve on things that you would have never been able to before. And so I think investing in that team, finding the right people, and really you know, the, the sales and the launch will come uh, if you get the right people involved and, and pull them around you. Fantastic. Carrie, what's your piece of advice? 
Well, of course, I agree with Jeff and Aziz, absolutely. Um, I think I'll, I'll kind of double down on the prioritization and focus. Too often I see a launch plan that's just a slide of 52 tactics. That's not a strategy. And so you really have to hone in on exactly what must you do to, to get this off the ground. So prioritize. Perfect. And Tony. So uh, maybe at risk of going a little philosophical here, but really it's, to me, it's being very strategic and intentional on where you're going, know where you're going, have that focus that is narrowed down to you know that destination, you have the end in mind before you get there, uh, executing efficiently, uh, and making sure you're measuring the right things on the front end uh, instead of you know chasing the back end all the time. And probably key, as mentioned by my colleagues here, the people that are doing all those things for you and with you uh, are the secret sauce to get that done. Fantastic. Okay, so one last question for the panel, and we'll, we'll stay, at, stay with you, Tony. What's the one word that describes your approach to a launch? One word. I'll let you have go through a phase, oh. too, but let's, let's try to stay with one word. And I was first? Yes. Okay, I spilled the bean already. Uh, <laughs> when? Disrupt. Uh, persistence. Perfect. Bring it home, Aziz. I'm a rule breaker. I'm not going to stick to one word. I'm just going to say data-driven precision and excellence. Fantastic. All right, guys. Great job by this panel. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you to Craig again. Great job. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow morning. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the OIS Podcast. Tune in next week as we chat science, medicine, and industry with ophthalmology's leading experts. Visit OIS.net for more information on podcasts, events, and exciting new features.